Okay, we are live. How you doing, everybody? Welcome back to another great podcast episode. I'm your host, John Riley. Welcome to the John Riley Project. We got some great things in store for you today. We're going to get into a number of things, you know, but you know, this is a live stream. We always welcome your thoughts and comments. Feel free to type those in in YouTube or Facebook and we'll read your comments and questions on the air. But what do we got in store for you today? We're going to talk about the Omicron COVID variant. I'll offer some of my thoughts and comments on that. We're going to talk a little bit about this kind of smash and grab phenomenon that's going on in business and it's infecting our local community here in Poway. And I want to talk about entrepreneurship and how all those things sort of tie together. I'm going to give you a little update on a on an EV road trip. I drove my electric car up to Sacramento about a week and a half ago. I'll tell you the story about that. We'll probably get into some Thanksgiving stuff. And um, yeah, just going to have a great show today. So I welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. Feel free to type those in. You know, there's a lot in the news right now. Um, you know, Chris Cuomo and school shootings and just a lot of really negative stuff. And I don't want to really dwell on that too much, but I want to really kind of talk a little bit more about positive values as we work our way through this podcast. Mike Ryan on the live stream. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Mike, we got to schedule you in here. Let's let's do a a podcast together. I always enjoy having you. Um, let's schedule something. We'll get you in and love to have your perspective on some of the issues that we're, we're getting into. Um, but yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about pursuing happiness, we're going to talk about productivity, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship, so a lot in store for you today. Um all right, but you know, how was your Thanksgiving? I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving holiday. You know, we we had a a wonderful time here and just to give you a little update on our situation, you know, I have uh my wife and I, you know, we're empty nesters. My daughter lives, you know, on her own here in San Diego, and my son is in college in Oklahoma. Um and so uh, you know, my son flew in, which was great, and got the four of us together. Um, and on Thanksgiving morning, we went down, um, as we always do on Thanksgiving. We've been doing this for like five or six years. We go down to Father Joe's Turkey Trot. You know, we have Father Joe as a as a guest on the podcast not too long ago. So it's always fun to go to that event. But this is the first time without Father Joe. But it's a great event. It's like a 5K. And we get out there. We we bring our dog, Nona, and we walk it. My wife and I, my our, our kids run it. You know, hats off to them. And uh, it's a great event. Lots of fun people watching, people dressed up and decorated. Um, like like a, They look like turkeys or they've got pumpkin pie hats on. It's just, it's just kind of fun. And it's all for a good cause, all to raise money for Father Joe's Village. So we did that on Thursday morning, bright and early, like about, I think we we woke up at 5.30. We had to get down there by 6.30 because the event started right at 7. But it's also fun because, you know, you're walking around and over there in Hillcrest and in some of the local communities. And, you know, you kind of get up close and personal with some of the local businesses and some of the, the residential housing there. And it's just really interesting. I mean, it's just a really great event. And plus, you're in Balboa Park. And I was commenting to my kids that, you know, when I was their age and I was in Balboa Park, I didn't really appreciate it for what it is. And now as an adult, I go there and it's like, wow, there's like some actual history, some actual architecture, you know, at least like that historical looking architecture. Um, so it's all good. So we did that on uh, that morning and then got back to the house. And for the last, I don't know, I'd say like three or four Thanksgivings, 
we haven't cooked. Um, we've been actually going out for Thanksgiving, which has been a really interesting way to do the holiday. You know, of course, when I was a kid and being raised, you know, my mom always cooked for us, always had the big family get together when I was growing up in the Bay Area with aunts and uncles and cousins. There'd be like 20 people at our house. Um, but then, you know, then I started my family and, you know, my wife and I, and we would cook um, all the time. And, and after a while, we kind of got tired of cooking because it's a big event and it's a lot of work. And this whole idea of actually going out for Thanksgiving was really intriguing. And so I remember there was one year we went to, um, we went to the Aero, the, what is it? The 41st Aero Squadron. Is that the name of it? It's uh, right near Montgomery Field. That was a disaster. I mean, that was a zoo. There were a million people there. So we didn't do that. And then another time we were up in Oregon because we were doing college visits. Because at the time, my daughter and son were both considering the two Oregon schools. And we had Thanksgiving up there in a restaurant. And then another time we were eating, oh, the 94th Aero Squadron. Thank you, Ed Franklin, on the live stream. Um, and then we went one time, uh, oh, we went once to the Rancho Bernardo Inn and that was like three years ago and they put on a wonderful Thanksgiving meal. Um, just, you know, excellent food and you don't have to cook, you don't have to clean up. So, you know, it's expensive, but it's worth it. And especially when we had family from out of town that were visiting us that Thanksgiving, it worked out great. And by the way, that was also the Thanksgiving that my son got an, uh, uh, an appendectomy, how do I say that? An appendectomy, you know, his appendix flared up during the Thanksgiving dinner. So we had to rush him to the hospital and the whole thing. That was an event. But anyways, this time we cooked and it was a great event. And one of the things I've been doing is I've been using this company called HelloFresh. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're the ones that deliver the food ingredients to your doorstep. I mean, it's a great business model. And there's a lot of other similar businesses where they they let you pick from a variety of different meals and they show up at your door and they've got all the ingredients. You don't have to go shopping for it. They've got every little spice. It's not like you ever run out of a spice. So they've got it all. And it's really cool. And I really enjoy cooking those. And we've been really successful, my wife and I, cooking a lot of these last year and even the previous year. Um, and so we decided, or at least I decided, I said, you know what? Let's do this for Thanksgiving. And they had a Thanksgiving plan. And I thought this uh, this could actually work out pretty well, so I signed up for it, and um, you know uh, I ended up doing most of the cooking. You know, I got some help from my wife, and my mom was you know visiting as well, so there were the five of us, so she helped us out, and I thought it came together pretty good. I was really proud of it. You know, I was extremely productive all day, did a lot of preparation the night before, and you know, it's one thing when you're cooking and you got. In the early part of the day, the early afternoon, everything's kind of going along. But then all of the it's like everything shows up at the ver at the finish line at the same time. And that's when it feels very stressful. So, well, anyways, it went over really well and I was really proud of it. And we had a really great Thanksgiving meal. And, you know, it's nice to have that with my children. We're, you know, both here and my mom. So it's just the five of us. And it was just a splendid time. And then my son ended up flying back to Oklahoma on Friday. And get this, I took him down to the airport at San Diego Lindbergh Field and it was like, I don't know, Friday. I think his flight left at about 11 o'clock. I got him down there like around 9, 9.30. And his flight, he was on the plane, on the tarmac. And then his flight was 
you know, essentially canceled. They said we're having a mecha- mechanical difficulty. And so they pulled the plane back to the gate. He deplaned. And then they ended up getting a flight for him about three or four hours later. And he was able to get on that flight. And, you know, he's working his way to Oklahoma City. So he had to go to Denver first. And then he deplanes in Denver. And then waits for his connecting flight, gets on the connecting flight, gets out on the tarmac, and the same thing happened again. Mechanical failure. They had to roll him back. Uh, he had to, you know, de- was it deplane or um, uh, deboard the plane? And uh, they ended up, didn't have any more flights for the rest of the day. So they had to set him up in a hotel. And then he ended up flying, you know, waking up in the morning. This By this time, it's Saturday. Um, and was ready to get on an eight o'clock flight that they had booked him for, you know, to make up for the mistake. And they said, oh, we don't have you on the list. And then he had to wait until like 11 o'clock to catch a plane. He eventually got back to Norman. It was like over a 24 hour delay, just a total nightmare Thanksgiving, you know, airplane trip. But, you know, it's kind of part and parcel of what's going on with all of the COVID issues, you know, supposedly pilots unavailable, you know, and when you have two mechanical failures, you know, on the same trip, you know, you wonder how truthful that really is, or if it's, you know, some other reason um, that they give you that, you know, maybe a little bit different than, you know, the reality and different than the truth. Interesting to suspect that he ended up getting back in time, gets to Oklahoma City. And the first thing they do is they drive to Stillwater for the Oklahoma Oklahoma State football game. So I was glad he got a chance to go to that. But we had a great time. And um, and I just, you know, how was your Thanksgiving? Hopefully you had a great time with your family and friends. You know, what did you do? Did you cook? Did you do something like what I did and had sort of a prepackaged meal delivered to you with all the ingredients and you had to cook it yourself? Or do you have a family recipe? I know my wife, we have, she has a really great, you know, sort of family recipe for stuffing. We made some of that as well. Um, or, or did you go out? And again, I, we've had great success. Well, with the exception of our 94th Aero Squadron Thanksgiving, we've had great success going out for the holiday. And it's a really nice change of pace. So if you ever have a chance to do that, I'd recommend it. Um, okay, so what else? I want to tell you, I want to first start off, you know, I've got a couple of segments here. I'm going to talk about my EV road trip to Sacramento because it was a cool adventure and I got some stories to tell there. Then we're going to get into Omicron um, and kind of how that's impacting our world, impacting the holiday season. And then we'll talk a little bit about the smash and grab phenomenon and how that's impacting our hometown of Poway. And we'll kind of get into entrepreneurship there. So that's kind of our agenda for the day. Um, so again, we welcome your thoughts and comments on the live stream. Feel free to type those in and, um, you know, welcome, welcome you all to this. Okay. So I ended up, I ended up getting sort of a wild hair and decided I was going to drive to Sacramento. And I told, I talked a little bit about this on my last podcast episode that, you know, I'm really excited that my, my, my university where I graduated like a million years ago, back in the eighties, UC San Diego's finally division one. And this is the first year that they can have fans attend the games. So we are already attended one of the division one men's basketball games at UCSD at Remac, and they were playing the weekend before Thanksgiving up in Sacramento in a game against Sacramento State. 
And I had been, you know, getting the COVID fever and just was interested in a road trip. And the fine wife gave me a hall pass. And so I ended up bolting out and uh, going up for this, this road trip. And it's always an adventure when you take an electric vehicle on a road trip uh, because, you know, I mean, where are the charging stations? How do you figure it out? And I always like to integrate a lot of other things in my road trip, you know, with my quest to go visit all the California missions. And it's just a time to get away on my own and, you know, kind of do some thinking. And and I enjoy that alone time. So I ended up leaving Friday and um, working my way up the 99 freeway. And I spent the night at an Airbnb on Friday night in Hanford, California. And that's I think it's like uh, due west of Visalia and, um, you know, kind of near on the other side of it is sort of Colinga, like Harris Ranch. And I always whenever I do Airbnbs, I always get my own place. And it's usually like a, an, a small home, a, a cottage, a, um, a maybe a condo or an apartment. But, they you know, there's a million people that rent their RVs out as Airbnb places. And when you're going through Airbnb, some of them look really nice and some of them look sketchy as hell. But, you know, I'm on my own and I'd always been tempted to try one of these RVs as um, as an alternative. And, you know, when you're driving up up through Northern California, there there's not a lot of glorious places to stay. So I said, what the hell? I'm going to try this. I ended up staying at, you know, kind of a high-end RV that was parked on a farm in Hanford, California. And I got to tell you, it was pretty good. It was a lot better than I expected. Um, now, granted, it wasn't a huge RV. I was there by myself. Maybe two people in this RV, but I wouldn't want it to be any more than two. Um, but it was kind of a cool setup. I mean, they had a really nice living room area, dining room, nice TVs. Um, at the, you know, the back end of it, there was a, a really nice sleeping quarters. And I was actually rather impressed with this. Um, and I just had a really you know great time and just was there. I ended up watching Aztec football. I think it was the game they played against... Mm, what game was that? It was like two weeks ago. Um, I think it was the game against Hawaii. That's the game I think I watched there. And then, um, you know, spent the night there, then got out. And then I ended up driving westbound right near the intersection of, what is it, the 41 and the 5, right where Harris Ranch is. You know, that's where that big cattle farm is. And they've got the nice resort that's right there. And, the you know, if you ever want a steak dinner, apparently that Harris Ranch restaurant is supposed to be outstanding. Well, at that restaurant, they also have EV charging stations. So, you know, it was electric, uh, Electrify America. I plugged in, charged up my car, all good, and then worked my way after I charged there, uh, worked my way to Mission San Juan Bautista, which is, you know, roughly near Salinas, like a little bit north and east of Salinas. What a cool little town that was. I mean, this was, you know, obviously an old, you know, one of the Franciscan missions from, you know, Father Junipero Serra. But there was a small little town around it that was historical, very quaint, uh, surrounded by these, you know, hills and and beautiful area. I mean, it was just gorgeous. And I got a chance to go to the mission. And, you know, all the missions are very similar where they have a museum. They have a lot of artifacts. Um, in some cases, they'll have photos or they'll have drawings of how the mission looked, you know, in the early 1800s 
and in the late 1800s. And they talk about the history with, you know, the, the local Indian tribes. They talk about, you know, the technology they were using on and, and how they essentially created a lifestyle for the, the, the priests, for the military and for, you know, the natives that lived in the area. And of course, there's the whole backstory with all of these missions where, you know, they tell the the story, you know, the, the, the positive spin is that they were converting a lot of these um, local um, natives to Christianity. But the, the dark side of it is, is that a lot of them died, right, because of infectious diseases that the Europeans brought with them. And, you know, of course, the natives didn't have the immunity for that, and they caught the viruses and, and passed. But then in a lot of other cases, you know, the story is, is that there was slavery and that they were, you know, forced to do work on the mission. Now, granted, the missions never present that, but a lot of local historians do. So when you're kind of going through the history of the museum, you always have to keep that in mind of how much of a spin is really being put on this. But to me, it's interesting because it's the intersection of local history in California. Um, and and then there's you know the whole religious angle to it, which to me is intriguing. And it really wasn't that long ago. I mean, it was like 150 years ago, these missions were active, and really they started about 200, 250 years ago. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, you think about the whole scope of history, you know, around the world. I mean, this is just a, a blip in time. And to go back, you know, 150, 200 years ago and look at what these people accomplished, um, how they built up a civilization, um, and how they were able to essentially you know, colonize or maybe greatly inhabit the state of California. It's just a really interesting story. And so, and besides for me, you know, there's 21 missions, right? And I studied the missions when I was in school. Of course, I went to a Catholic elementary school. Um, my children, you know, here in the Poway Unified, they all had to build a mission. I think was that the fourth grade? They had to do that. So um, I was always intrigued about going back and to me, it, it provides a great excuse for a road trip. And granted, after you've seen five or six missions, they all, with some exceptions, they all generally start to look a little bit alike, um, kind of a little bit of a similar story, but they're still fascinating. Um, and then I got a chance to go into the church itself, and you, know, you kind of see all the artifacts, see, see all the religious statues, and just interesting to me, you know, and how the, how the building was built. Um, the, the grounds around the mission. Um, and in many cases, these missions are still active churches in their community. But the one at San Juan Bautista, which is named after St. John the Baptist, was just a really cool place. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you're here in San Diego and you, when you look around, you know, when we see mountains or large hills, you know, they're, they're, they're brown Lots of big rocks, you know, very dry. But as you work your way up to Northern California, suddenly the hills are very smooth and they're all very, at least this time of the year, because there were rains earlier, they're very green and they just look very supple, very um, fertile, you know, as a place to grow vegetables. And you imagine that when these early settlers saw this place, they probably thought, you know, this is you know, the land of milk and honey, you know, because it looked so pristine. And in many cases, it still is. So San Juan Bautista was tremendous. 
And then I worked my way up into the Bay Area and I went to Mission San Jose, which interestingly is not in the city of San Jose. It's in the city of Fremont. Um, And it's in a more, you know, suburban environment where, you know, San Juan Bautista is literally a countryside kind of a community where the Mission San Jose is... Yeah, definitely in a suburban environment. There's like a little bit of a downtown right there across the street from the mission. And there was actually some graffiti on the the church itself that um, I think it was, I think it says "Take back our land," right? So obviously, some people that are angry about colonization and wanting to return the land back to the natives. So you get up into the Bay Area, you expect to see a little bit of that those sympathies. But it was also interesting, um, that particular mission, because it was one of the primary missions there in Northern California. And it had, um, I think it had some sort of like a headquarters at some time for the whole mission chain that was there in San Jose. But it was also interesting from that perspective in Fremont being up on a hill and then looking out over the San Francisco Bay and seeing the peninsula and seeing San Francisco and even being able to see like Yerba Buena Island. Um, it was just kind of a cool angle, a cool perspective of the Bay Area. I really enjoyed that. And then I worked my way up to Sacramento and got up there. Um, it was, you know, the, the basketball game was Saturday night at seven. So I think I got up into um, into Sacramento about four o'clock and got an Airbnb. And the Airbnb there was wonderful. It was in an older part of Sacramento where there's all these gorgeous trees, beautiful neighborhood. And this particular homeowner had a cottage in their backyard. It was actually an old single file garage back in the day that they had remodeled and inside was beautiful, you know, and it had all new appliances, new flooring, um, you know, new television. The bed was fantastic. The bathroom was just like sparkling clean and new. And it was just a really positive experience. Um, so ended up kind of getting set up there, took a shower, went over to the Sacramento state and, um, and watch the game, and UCSD looked great. Um, they were down at halftime, but they had a fantastic second half and beat Sac State, which for me is just incredible because, you know, when I went to UCSD in the 80s, they were Division three. I mean, they were playing Biola and Laverne and Pomona Pitzer and these really small, like 3,000 student religious schools or really high-end academic schools um, they weren't playing major universities. Now, granted, Sacramento State is not Cal Berkeley, although they they beat Cal Berkeley a couple of weeks ago, which was fantastic. But anyways, I got into the gym and the gym itself at Sac State was only 1,012 capacity. I mean, Poway High's gym is like twice the size of Sacramento State's gym. But I got in there and I ended up getting, you know, there's barely anyone there. So I sat in the front row like I was a VIP at an NBA game. And the crazy story was, is that there was a couple sitting next to me and the guy there, he, everyone that walked by, whether they were a Sacramento state staffer or um, they were an athlete from another team. And in some cases, some of the basketball players, they all came by, said hello to him, shook his hand. I mean, this guy was clearly one of the big boosters of the program. But the crazy part is, is that he looked like Steve Ballmer. Remember, Steve Ballmer is the owner of the Clippers, the former president of Microsoft, you know, kind of a big guy, 
bald, um, wearing a long sleeve button down collar shirt. I mean, it felt like I was right next to Steve Ballmer the whole time, but they were great. And the people there were great, had a wonderful time and then ended up going back to my Airbnb and then, um, you know, worked my way back home um, and, you know, charging my car along the way. No big deal. But the funny, you know, I just want a little bit of a tangent. I was just, as I was preparing for this podcast, there was an assault of someone's car at an EV charging station. Can you believe this? And hear this story out. So there's an app and, you know, I have it on my phone and it's called PlugShare. So if you drive an electric vehicle and you want to know where are the charging stations, you can go on the PlugShare app or you can go to PlugShare.com and it will map you know, it plots them all on a map where all the EV charging stations are. And you can pick the ones that are for Tesla or the ones that are for non-Teslas, whether using Chatamo or, um, you know, CCS. Um, they also, you can filter them by level three, level two, level one. I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can, you know, dial in and find out where the optimal charging stations are for your drive. And for me, this is a critical app. You know, it's not like you can pull over at any at any um, uh, exit and there's going to be three gas stations on the corner. You got to find these charging stations. Now, the great news is, is they're building more and more right now. I'm not even talking about Biden's infrastructure bill, which is going to build even more. But for the last two, three, four years, there's been a huge number of high speed electric vehicle charging stations that are being built definitely in California, but all throughout America. So, I mean, you get on that PlugShare app and, you know, your map is populated with these, these push pins that show where all the charging stations are. Well, anyways, on that app, you will often find that sometimes people that have a charging station in their home will list it on PlugShare. So if someone, you know, really needs a charge and they happen to be nearby they can come to your house and charge. I know it sounds really odd, but in the EV community, you know, everyone's sort of watching out for each other. In the EV community, we all sometimes feel that that notion of range anxiety, you know, and sometimes we've been in pickles where, you know, we, we you know, maybe our charge level is really low and we need to get a charge nearby. So some people have been kind enough to list their home charging station on the PlugShare app. And so apparently this person had a Tesla, found this home and drove there, knocked on the front door, contacted the owner. The owner said, yeah, no problem. You can use our home charging station. And so they plugged in the car and then the guy, you know, that owned the Tesla ended up walking or going for a walk and he had some time to kill. Well, shortly after he left, the, the homeowner's wife showed up saw this Tesla parked in their home, in their property, plugged into their charging station. And she thought this was some, you know, arrogant rich guy trying to tap off of their electrical line to get free charging, you know, that she was going to pay for. And apparently she went into a rage and started banging on this guy's Tesla uh, to the point where, you know, her husband was in the house and came out and said, what are you doing? And, um, and you know, he says, I, I gave permission to this person. So it's just crazy, you know, but in some ways it's cool because how electric vehicle owners kind of watch out for each other. They provide resources for each other. Uh, now, granted, I've never had to do that. I've never had a problem charging my car. Um, you know, every charging station I go to, 
I never have to wait in line. You know, it's there for me. I've never had a problem with lack of infrastructure. Well, maybe with the exception of my drive from San Diego to Albuquerque in 2018, that, I, that was a sketchy ride when I was in the middle of nowheresville in New Mexico desert with very few charging stations. It was like plotting um, a pathway across the Sahara Desert where you knew where those oases were. And I f- was able to use this plug share application to find it on the map. Well, with the exception of that, I've never had trouble finding charging stations. Um, but it's, you know, it's always worked out really well. But, you know, for some people, they, you know, they might get into a pinch and it's cool that other EV drivers are kind of helping each other out. So, um, but, you know, just a couple other observations on my drive up to Northern California. One thing I did notice is that mask use was far greater in Northern California, um, particularly for travelers along Highway 5. When they were going into, a, you know, a convenience store, a lot more masks, I noticed. Um, now, the crazy thing was, is when I went to the game at Sac State, they said they were going to check vaccination status. They were going to, you know, make sure that you had a mask. Um, and, you know, because when we went to the game at UCSD about two, three weeks ago, we brought our vaccination card and they checked it. So I brought it along with me at Sacramento State, and they didn't even check at all, even though it was a big warning when I bought the tickets. But the other crazy part about driving through Sacramento, it's interesting because it is the state capital, but there was so much homelessness. I mean, a lot. Now, granted, in San Diego, you know, there's quite a bit of homelessness as well. I mean, it's a phenomenon, not just in California, but really all across America. And we've, gosh, we had Michael Golden here on the podcast a young man that grew up on the streets as a homeless child got a scholarship to go to UCLA and now he's an entrepreneur and just leading a just a wonderful productive life he shared a lot of the stories about being homeless and you know it's not easy and homelessness is a there's a lot there i mean we could peel back the layers of the onion and break that down it, it's a very complex problem but I was really surprised to see so much of it in Sacramento, given that it's the state capital. Um, you would think that if there was ever any city that would have programs to help the homeless, you would expect to see a lot of it in Sacramento. But I noticed just everywhere I drove, particularly if I was underneath an overpass of a freeway, just tents everywhere. And it was sad. I mean, it really was. And so... Um, you know, I, I think I'm going to probably do another podcast on homelessness and talking about a range of solutions to the problem. Because um, there's a lot of, like I say, it's complex. There are a lot of factors. There's no one single problem. There's, you know, 10 different problems all happening at once that are all inter- independent on each other. Uh, but I think I'm going to break that down in a future podcast. But it was just sort of surprising. But anyways, I made it back Sunday night. So it was kind of a quick trip and it's just nice to get out of town and get away. So I'm um, not sure if you've been going out on road trips, you know, with COVID, sometimes you feel sort of cooped up, but you know, now, now we got Omicron. Oh my God. So I'm going to get into Omicron here in a minute, but if you want to get connected with the podcast, you know, go to my website. You can go to John Riley Project or, or better yet, just go to this other URL I have. It's connectwithjohnny.com. If you go to connectwithjohnny.com, you'll see all of my social media platforms. You can connect there, follow on, you know, I'm really active mostly on Twitter and Facebook. And then of course, YouTube. 
but you can follow my um, social media platforms, have a fun conversation. We'll sometimes have follow-up discussions online after these podcast episodes, or just sign up on our mailing list and you know get the latest info on the John Riley Project. Okay, Omicron, that's the next thing. Um, this, you know, obviously this kind of came out of left field, right? I mean, we've been dealing with the Delta variant for some time and we had heard there were going to be other variants. At one point they were saying there was going to be a new variant, not N-E-W, but like the Greek letter new, N-U. Well, quickly that became Omicron, right? And once the Omicron virus became news, I mean, it was like headlines everywhere, right? Apparently it, you know, I don't know if it started in South Africa, but that was where it was first detected. And then already people from South Africa have been traveling around the world. And now nations um, are starting to put travel bans against, I don't know, it was like six or seven nations there in the southern portion of South Africa. Not just the nation of South Africa, but some of the their neighboring nations. And you look at this and you're thinking, oh, my God, it's like, here we go again. Here we go again. And, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more of the hysteria around the virus. And it's, you know, it's something. It's like it's like it never ends. I mean, even LeBron, LeBron James now has COVID. I just saw that on the news. I don't know if they, I don't think he has the Omicron variant. Uh, but this is now, you know, becoming a, a big deal. And the story is, is that. They found someone now here in the state of California that has the Omicron variant. And apparently they were so-called fully vaccinated, which means they had two doses of Moderna or two doses of Pfizer or one dose of Johnson & Johnson. But apparently they didn't have the booster. Okay. Um, And uh, they were, you know, immediately quarantined. They haven't released their name or where they're from, trying to protect the privacy of the individual. Um, and apparently the symptoms are mild. And that's sort of consistent with what we're hearing, is that as these variants come along, they become, I guess they spread faster. Okay, you know, take this with, a, with, a, with an asterisk, because I don't know everything that goes on with the science of these. But my understanding is, is that these latter variants spread more quickly, but the symptoms are milder. Um, So the likelihood of death or serious hospitalization is minimized, but maybe the case rate might go up because it'll spread faster. Um, And that's what apparently we're seeing in this particular case. The symptoms for this person in California are relatively mild. So um, now speaking for myself, you know, I, I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine back in April and then I ended up getting the Moderna booster probably about a month ago, maybe, maybe yeah, it's about a month ago. And um, supposedly that combination really works well. I think if you get that booster, it just, you know, raises your, your, you know, essentially raises your shields to prevent infection to an extraordinarily high rate. You know, some people are saying we don't need the vaccine because we've already had covid and we've had natural immunities. But if you have natural immunities and the vaccine, I mean, then you're almost you're you're almost, you know, completely immune you know, to a, to a degree. Um, you have tremendous protection. And then if you if you do get it, the likelihood of you getting seriously ill or dying are just dramatically lower. 
That's the thing, you know, with a lot of people with the um, the vaccines, they say, well, you know, the, the, the vaccines didn't stop, you know, this guy from getting Omicron, this guy in California, he was fully vaxxed. Well, he didn't have the booster, but he had the primary vaccine doses that were given out earlier this year. Yeah, vaccines aren't, you know, a perfect shield, but of course they reduce the odds, right? You know, it's like the the Hunger Games, may the odds forever be in your favor. The the vaccines improve your odds of success. Um, and so now the question is, do the boosters, do they help with Omicron or not? Are there going to be other variants? So there's all this kind of hysteria going on. And meanwhile, here in San Diego, the city of San Diego is now issuing a vaccine mandate for their employees. You're thinking, wow. Um, you know, because... Right now, that Omicron variant is spreading. It's already spreading. Um, now, should do these cities and businesses, should they be allowed to have mandates? Well, you know, that should be their choice. I think it's not really necessarily a wise policy, particularly when there's a worker shortage and these companies are already working with limited staff. Um, but, you know, these companies are in, in some cases, government agencies are issuing their own vaccine mandates. And like, OK. You know, that's their choice to do it. But we're seeing now, I, I worry that as now this Omicron thing becomes a bigger news story, particularly as we get into the holiday season and there's going to be more family travel, right? Well, now we're we going to see more restrictions on travel. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Pete Neal on the live stream chiming in. Sorry, I'm late. I was at Walmart. And I don't even have Poway Road traffic to blame. Um, so with with the holiday season coming up and we've got, you know, families interacting with each other, you wonder, is this Omicron variant going to cause local leaders, government leaders to enact more stringent policies that are going to limit our rights and our freedoms? And we're already seeing it. So uh, many nations are now, you know, having a travel ban on nations from those, you know, seven or eight nations there in the southern part of South, of Africa. They're being essentially travel banned, which then brings up, of course, all the, the, you know, finger pointing between the Republicans and Democrats and Trump's travel ban and the COVID travel bans, which, are, of course, for very different reasons, right? Trump's travel bans, he wanted to ban people because of their religion. He wanted to have a Muslim ban and he couldn't do it. Courts wouldn't let him. So then he ended up banning people that came from predominantly Muslim countries. You know, that was the whole, you know, creating a, a, a lot of fear mongering. You know, the remember, remember when Trump did that, uh, that press conference, he goes, I, Donald J. Trump, do hereby issue a travel ban um, on all Muslims until we can figure out what in the hell is going on. I mean, it was like. Something from like a Mel Brooks movie. It was like something, something ridiculous. And of course, you know, people ate that up. Um, and meanwhile, you hear a lot of, you know, our MAGA friends saying they're for freedom and Trump is the one that wants to block the freedom of people. But now, you know, people's freedom here potentially can be impacted. So what's going to end? Um, and really all of those, those restrictions on, on liberty you know, it didn't stop the virus from spreading. Now, granted, it, it, it may have minimized or mitigated the spread. But, you know, really, at some point, viruses are going to virus. I mean, that's what they're going to do. 
And there's always going to be another variant. So it makes me wonder if, you know, is this going to be a repeating pattern? You know, it's Omicron now and what comes after Omicron? Like Pi and Rho and Sigma and um, what are the other ones? Theta is the next one after that. I'm trying to remember my Greek alphabet. Uh, so I, I, we're going to probably see more of these and there's going to be more of this hysteria. Now, now here's an interesting story. Um, you know, COVID has been going on now for what? Like almost two years, right? It's It's been 18 months, right? Or excuse me, not 18 months, 21 months, right? Yeah, because it was in March of 2020 and we're three months out from that. So yeah, it's 21 months. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people, they haven't gone on vacations. There's been, you know, they couldn't travel because either they weren't allowed or B, they took precautions not to travel, right? And so my family had been itching to go on. We hadn't gone on a long vacation in a long time. And the COVID seemed to be kind of minimizing, right? People, more where people were getting vaccinated. Um, there were less deaths. We, it felt like it was okay to kind of, you know, stick your neck out a little bit and take some risks to go on a bigger trip. And so we ended up deciding that we were going to go on a trip to England, which I, I had never been to England. I mean, it just sounded really interesting. Um, and we kind of had this whole thing planned. And then now this Omicron thing is hit. And now we're wondering, and, you know, granted, we were smart. We ended up buying travel insurance. Thank goodness. And if we cash that in, we can get all of our money back. No problem for, for travel, for hotels, for everything. We still might do that. Um, now, what's interesting is that when you travel to England now, the, their rule is, is that you have to self-quarantine for a period of time. So when you arrive, they count it as day zero, and then you have to self-quarantine uh, up to two days, and then you have to take a test. And then if you are not infected with COVID, then you're free to go. But if you are infected then you have to self-quarantine for 10 additional days. And so that's the risk that we're worried about is that, you know, we're all vaccinated. None of us, as far as we know, are infected with it. And we all have boosters. Um, but if we, you know, board the plane and everything's good, and then if we travel and we land there in London, and then if by some chance one of us test positive, that would completely destroy the whole vacation because you'd have to quarantine for 10 days in the hotel. So um, we're like, not sure what we're going to do now. I think we're just going to kind of keep an eye on the news and see what happens. But my, I suspect that we're going to see the, um, the travel restrictions are probably going to escalate. The limits on movement are probably going to escalate um, because of this new Omicron variant. So I'm, I'm concerned about it. Pete Neal on the live stream chiming in says, uh, COVID and Omicron are viruses. They are fighting to survive just as we are. You can either join the fight or aid and benefit the enemy. Right. You're right, Pete. Viruses are going to virus. That's what they do. They spread. And really, we can all put up the grandest fight we can. But still, at some point, I think this virus is going to get most everybody at some point. 
Now, hopefully we're all vaccinated so that when we do get it, the symptoms are relatively mild and that it's not, you know, a serious health matter. You know, before the vaccine, before the vaccines, yeah, there was a gigantic risk. And that's why we saw so many people that were in the ICUs. But while we do need to fight this virus, we also need to live our life. We, we all need to pursue our happiness, right? We can't live in fear. So that's why I'm, I'm a believer of, as individuals, we should be making our own assessment of our own risk level, taking precautions. You know, we vaccinate, we wear masks where it's required. Um, and, you know, we avoid large crowds. We, you know, generally socially distance. You make smart choices along the way, but you can't like coop yourself up and live in fear. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of living? Um, so it's, it's a difficult challenge. It's a delicate balance. But I'm just really concerned about what is coming next. You know, what is going to be the end result of what we discover with Omicron? Are there going to be more variants? I, there certainly will. Do our existing vaccines, will they cover us or will there be a need for another vaccine? So we're entering another period of unknown, but also more hysteria from the media kind of stirring the pot on a lot of this as well and creating more fear, uncertainty and doubt. So um, I'm, you know, just generally concerned, you know, because I live by the motto, you know, YOLO, you only live once. This is like like a once in a lifetime opportunity for us to go on this trip. Um, you know, to really get out there, pursue our happiness. We've got a great plan. You know, we're planning on flying into London and then, you know, spending time in London and then driving northbound in a rental car all the way up to Edinburgh. That's our plan. And going to a Man City soccer game along the way, uh, visiting a lot of really great historical places along the way. Um, I have a little bit of ancestry that's just outside of Birmingham and I was hoping to go visit there. Um, so there's... Uh, it was potentially going to be a great trip, but we kind of, you know, are, we're sort of, you know, being careful right now. And I think we're going to find out more in the next week or so, um, maybe the next two weeks, whether or not we're going to actually do this or if we're going to cash in on our travel insurance, but, um, it's crazy. It really is. So I don't know what your thoughts are, what your plans are for the holidays. Hopefully you're going to be doing some great things with family and we'll all do it safely to the best of our ability. Um, and hopefully this Omicron thing is just, uh, hopefully it's, it's a smaller issue than the hysteria that we're seeing. At least that's what I'm hopeful for. Okay. Um, gosh, we're at 46 minutes. Um, I want to get into the smash and grab situation. (laughs) Mike Ryan says, hold off on traveling out of the country. You know, I got you, Mike. That makes a great deal of sense. Um, that's what we're worried about. And, you know, it's one thing to go to a country that is similar to America as a, where, where there's going to be a higher percentage of people that are going to be vaccinated um, as opposed to going to a country where vaccinations are very rare. Um, that's, that's certainly a big difference. But, yeah, um, it's a concern, you know, whether or not uh, – we should be traveling. And it's something we're contemplating right now. So I don't know what the answer is going to be. We'll find out soon. Um, okay. So got one more topic here we want to get into. And this is um, this whole smash and grab thing. Now, you know, the smash and grab, we've heard about this, right? It's where these people are like literally like 
going in and looting stores, right? They're going into these businesses and just outright, and they show up like a mob, like a flash mob. Remember back in the day, a flash mob would show up and then suddenly they go into a synchronized dance routine, which was great. But now they're showing up and they're clearing out stores of all the merchandise. And this is a serious problem. Now, it sort of has impacted our city here in Poway, you know, Poway 92064, the city in the country where we live. And a a restaurant here in town called um, uh, Takrai Thai Restaurant has now... They were just robbed, burglarized for the third time this year. Third time this year. I mean, it's just awful. Um, so let me see if I can find the article on it. Yeah, here it is. And um, the owner, her name is uh, Nikki Bupa, and she said, this is our third time in a row. I think it's too much for this town. Well, this town, this is Poway, the city in the country. One of so-called, one of excuse me, the safest cities in, in San Diego County, if not in California. So, so what in the hell is going on, you know? And we've seen other break-ins in Poway where doors are smashed, merchandise has been stolen. Now, apparently in this particular case of this Thai restaurant, um, you know, the burglars were looking for cash. And that's what she said. She believes the thieves were looking for cash, but she doesn't keep cash in the register overnight. So she reported the burglaries to the police, but the police said, you know, not much we can do. You know, her alarm went off and, you know, where she lived and that's how she was, she was informed of the situation. And then, you know, she's got to go in and take on the expense and the hassle of making all these repairs. And then once, you know, windows are broken on the restaurant, suddenly your your property isn't secure. So, you know, I mean, it's just an awful situation, but well, you know, one of the things that we talk about here in, in the city of Poway is how especially our local leaders like to pride themselves that this is a safe community. Now, relative to other cities in San Diego County, Poway probably is a lot safer. In fact, all the data shows that. Now, sometimes we're the safest city in the county. Sometimes we're number two or three, depending on the time frame of the analysis, depending on what types of crimes, whether they're property crimes or whether they're bodily crimes, right? Um, you know, whether they're murder, assault, rape, as opposed to stealing a car or breaking into a business. I mean, all of those are serious, but to varying degrees, of course. Um, but what in the hell is going on? And you know, it makes you think that there's there are broader issues that are going on here because we're seeing smash and grab happening throughout the state of California. Now, we saw a lot of it, at least initially, in the city of, of San Francisco. Granted, my, my original hometown is where I was born. And in San Francisco, um, businesses like Walgreens were getting robbed over and over again to the point that they started shutting down some of those retail locations. Now, Walgreens has a million locations, and especially in San Francisco, there's so many of them there. But they they, they closed a number of those locations because of the theft. Um, Mike Ryan on the live stream saying, yeah, lots of theft. We are incurring quite a bit of theft at the store. And Mike works at one of our local grocery stores. People just walking right out, no conscious whatsoever. This is the thing, is that, 
in San Francisco, they they init- they instituted a law that said that you know property crime or theft that is of I think is it nine hundred ninety five dollars and less is just not going to be pursued by the police. That you know it's it just kind of you know shit happens. You know it's, it's it can be reported as a crime, but they're not going to go to great efforts to try to find the criminals and. A lot of these store owners know that. They also know they, they see these um, criminals coming into the store and stealing goods. And they sometimes don't confront – well, most of the time they don't confront them at all because they know that's going to lead to probably some form of violence. And they say it's just not worth it. And they you know they walk away from it and they allow the, the, the thief to just to walk out the store without being touched. And so, you know, from the business's perspective, I get it. You know, they don't want to create a unsafe environment for their customers or their employees. So that's why they probably have a store policy that says, if you see someone stealing goods, don't confront them. Because you never know what that thief might have in his pocket, a gun, a knife, or he just might be a very strong person that is willing to, you know, assault you. Now, the part that to me is just challenging is that there are people that, as Mike said, they have no conscience whatsoever, that they can just walk into the store and steal and walk out, and, and it really isn't a problem for them. I hear this, and it makes me question sort of you know, the whole issue of morality and what people value in a community, because... When we all live together in a community, we all want to be safe and secure in our persons and certainly safe and secure with our property. I mean, we don't want people showing up our house and burglarizing us. And at the same time, we don't want to have people showing up at our place of business. But for some people, you wonder, why do they do it? Now, certainly there might be some people in desperate situations, you know, that are hungry or poor and they need help. Now, granted, there is countless opportunities for people to get help legitimately without essentially violating other people. Um, but sometimes the people that are in desperate situations, maybe they don't know about it. But, you know, these people need to be made aware of those resources and, and essentially be consulted and coached and helped to find their way to it. But I think there's a whole other segment that just doesn't give a crap that figures, well, these big corporations, they're rich and they're powerful and screw them and I'm just going to take their stuff. Well, a lot of these companies are not the rich, the powerful, the wealthy. Some of them are small families that run Thai restaurants here in the city of Poway, a a clear mom and pop operation. And they're the ones that are being robbed, that see you know, essentially their life savings is wrapped up in this business. The tremendous amount of their own productive effort is wrapped into that business, their blood, sweat, and tears. And to see people so, you know, carelessly, so casually sort of not care about that and just break down the, you know, the the doors, break the windows and steal things without a conscience. It's just so sad, so pathetic. You know, there's been a recent uptick in crime over the last two to three years. 
since the early 1990s, violent crime particularly has been on a very, very steep, steady down downturn, trending way down. And that's what made Trump's campaign in 2016 all the more ridiculous when he was saying, you know, that there's there's crime and there are bad guys out there and we need law and order to well, 2016 crime rates were really low. But of course, he stoked a lot of those flames, created more divisiveness. That was classic Trump. But even here in our hometown of Poway, relatively safe, you know. But things are changing. You, you notice that. Now, COVID probably has something to do with it. Um, people are affected psychologically, in some cases financially, by COVID. But it's a shame. And, and Mike Ryan says, you will see more vigilante activities if cities do not lock this behavior down. Well, I agree with you, Mike. I, it's gonna, we're going to see more of this. Now, think about this more broadly. Because... Um, there's a lot going on, a lot of like rhetoric that we hear from people in the media, politicians in D.C. and Sacramento. And it's all of this, we need to make the rich pay their fair share, right? How many times have we heard that? We've got tremendous wealth inequality. How many times have you heard that? Now, we can break down each of those issues. I've talked a lot about paying your fair share a lot on this podcast because what is fair share? They never define it. Um, and, and we can talk about what that should be. We could talk about wealth inequality. We've talked a lot about that in this podcast. Um, and, you know, is wealth inequality a bad thing? Well, not necessarily. I mean, in a nation that respects freedom, we're going to have different people pursuing different careers and having different levels of success in their career and earning different levels of money. You know, if people are pursuing their careers in a way, in an ethical way, where they're not, you know, cheating, stealing, lying along the way, if they're doing it ethically, and if you're earning a lot of money, you know, tip of the hat to you. But, you know, a lot of people think it's unfair that some people have more than others. Um, and that's why we see a lot of this law, these more progressive policies to have more wealth redistribution. So we're hearing a lot of that rhetoric. Sometimes I wonder, is that consciously or maybe subconsciously affecting people in society that making them feel like, well, we can just steal from businesses because it doesn't matter. You know, those are the rich people. And besides, they have insurance. So, so what? We saw a little bit of that um, attitude last year when there was riots and looting and a lot of other, you know, with all the political unrest we had last summer, the summer of 2020. Some people discounted it and said, you know, so what? Those businesses, they have insurance. No big deal. The company that people are going in there and robbing them, walking out with all their inventory. So I look at this and I, I think to myself, these entrepreneurs, particularly small business entrepreneurs, but even large companies, but look at this Thai restaurant in Poway, you know, Takrai Thai restaurant. It's a mom and pop operation. 
Um, the, this, the, these local business owners, I mean, they really should be applauded for the work that they do. I mean, they've declared their sense of independence, right? They've gotten away from the corporate world and they went and started up their own business. I mean, that takes a lot of balls. That takes a great deal of risk to do that, to take your life savings, to take what you, what you own, what you earn and put that into a business with no guarantee, especially a restaurant, which has a very high probability that's going to eventually fail after five years. The restaurant business is very difficult. But these people took a risk to do it. Now, obviously, they're doing it as a risk to improve their life as a business owner, you know, because maybe they financially think they can do better as a business owner than they did in their corporate job. In many cases, that's probably true. Or maybe they wanted to have greater um, work-life balance, which you can do as a business owner. Although if you work in a restaurant, oh, my God, you're probably working 16 hours a day. Um, but ultimately, what do these businesses do? They provide products and services that help people in their community. They provide goods and services that benefit people's lives. Restaurants help feed people. During this COVID crisis, restaurants offering takeout provided a tremendous resource for those of us in the community because we needed a place to eat. We needed to get food. And, you know, people, a lot of people didn't want to go into grocery stores because of the COVID virus. And so the, a lot of people were going and doing a lot more takeout. These restaurants are really, and small businesses in general, these are pillars in our community that I think should be greatly respected for what they do in our community. But some people don't, just don't care. Some people think that they should be robbed that they have something that they don't, that it, it's justified to rob from Peter to pay Paul. And they, and they get the, the rhetoric they hear and see from their political leaders and from people in the media only reinforce this. That, you know, corporate people, people that own businesses, aren't paying their fair share, screw those people. And they need to be redistributing their wealth. And so, darn it, I'm just going to go in and take it. Now, does every criminal think like that? Probably not, but some do. I bet you some do. And if not, they're not thinking that way. Subconsciously, it may be there as a rationalization on why that kind of vigilante behavior exists. Now, Mike, you work at um, our local Albertsons here in Rancho Bernardo. I mean, if, if, if someone came to the grocery store that was legitimately desperate, that was hungry, had no place to go, I'm sure people in your, your business would be able to help them in some way, right? Maybe provide something, maybe point them in the direction of where they can get help. It's one thing to ask for help. It's another thing to go and take it. 
Um, and Mike, yeah, good for you, Mike, on the live stream. You said you would, and I'm, I'm sure you would, Mike. You're a man of good, high, high character. I'm not, you know, it's it's tough out there. I get it. I mean, we, we talked about homelessness, which I'll get to in a future podcast. It's tough out there for a lot of people. Is that why some of these people are doing smash and grab? I don't know. Um, I don't know what their motivations are. I think every case is going to be unique. But we one thing we do know is that they're choosing to to pillage, to steal, and in many cases damage the property of these business owners when all they really need to do is ask. I mean, heck, so many of these businesses are desperate for employees. I mean, if you need help, hey, we'll provide help, but maybe you can help us win-win. We can put you, we can give you a job. And you can earn money. And then use your earnings to fund your lifestyle morally, ethically, legitimately. Businesses are desperate for workers. That's what's just so sad about this. And so you see these businesses that are scrambling, that are desperate for workers, that in many cases are still struggling to make ends meet. I mean, how many small businesses have been crushed by this COVID uh, uh, epidemic? You know, they see their competitors like Amazon or Walmart or Target being declared essential, yet their business is not essential and they get shut down by bureaucrats, by political leaders. And a lot of those businesses, you know, sure, there may have been help from government, but again, that's all part of this all the chaos that has come from this COVID pandemic. But ultimately, a lot of these businesses, it's just people's, sometimes I think people don't really understand how important these businesses are in our community. That the products and services that they provide benefit people in our community. That the Jobs that these businesses provide benefit people in our community. A lot of these businesses do many things outside the scope of their own business to help people and organizations in our community. But still, some people want to rob them. And really have no conscience for it. And it's sad. Um, so I know, I, I just think, you know, there's one level of judgment on the burglar. But what I really want to do is I want to applaud the efforts of the entrepreneur. I want to applaud the people that have taken a risk in their life, that have put their money where their mouth is, that have taken their life savings and put it on the line to start a business. Put their blood, sweat, and tears into this business, working countless hours, employing locals in that business to help them, and thus providing an income for people here in our community 
so that they can live. And then ultimately doing it by providing products, services that help people here in our local community. Entrepreneurs, I think, are are people that really should be looked upon, you know, as a general rule, looked upon very favorably. These are people that I think have strong values, have positive values for themselves, for the people they employ, for the suppliers that provide products for them, and for the customers that they serve. Um, So when I see smash and grab, um, it angers me. It really does. I mean, because I don't think these businesses deserve that. And at the same time, it's so disappointing that the moral character of some people are able to rationalize that such theft is acceptable. And if they are in a truly desperate situation, there are so many resources that are available to people where they can get help. Help for housing, help for food, and you know, help for a lot of things. There are businesses that want to hire people and employ them and provide an income stream for them. But some people are not interested in that. So I think a lot of this goes back to values. It goes to moral code. And when I say moral code, I don't necessarily mean religion. I just mean, you know, it's like, what's the right thing to do? I had a little bit of an irony. Reminds me of the Spike Lee movie, Do the Right Thing. Remember, Spike Lee threw, what did he do? I remember he threw something into the window of the local pizza shop because there was legitimate anger in that community. But in many ways, and that was a business owner. If I remember from that movie, that was a business owner that was doing very positive things in his community, but ended up unfairly suffering because of the angst and the anger of people in that community. It was shame. I should go back and watch that movie again. When did Do the Right Thing come out? It was like in the 90s. It was a really good movie. One of Spike Lee's. Um, I should go back and watch that. But, um, you know, Takrai Thai restaurant here in Poway, they were robbed. Um, There have been other robberies here in Poway. Businesses in San Francisco and L.A. and elsewhere, they're now starting to board up their windows. We're seeing plywood, you know, on windows, like what you see for people preparing for hurricanes in, in Miami. Now they're doing it to prevent more smash and grab. People, they, the people, a bunch of them broke into Home Depot to steal hammers and crowbars that they could later use to break into other stores. Kind of crazy, isn't it? That's like a supply chain thing for um, for the looters. It's a shame. And we, yeah, you're right, Mike. We need to have our local police really crack down on this. And when the police are sending a message and saying, you know what, if it's less than a thousand bucks, you know, don't call us. There's nothing we can really do for you. That's just wrong. The whole point of police is to protect people and to protect businesses. 
Because when, when there's theft, that's damaging. That's harmful when there's theft. That's one of the main things that, that police should be tracking down are people that inflict harm on others. But it's like what people expect from the police seems to have changed so much over the years. In many cases, the police are the ones that are inflicting harm. I, I, I should, I'm going to probably do this on a future podcast, too. I just saw this video of a guy that was driving from Texas to a small town outside of Reno. The police pulled him over, not because he was doing anything wrong, but just to advise him on some basic traffic safety issues. Because he was in the slow lane following a semi, going less than the speed limit, and maybe following a little too close. And they pulled him over. And this was Nevada police, like, or highway patrol. They pulled him over, and they started asking him questions, and they were very friendly. And they looked around in the car, and they said, would you mind if we search the car? And he didn't want to say no, because if you say no, then you're presumed guilty. And they searched the car. And then they asked him, are we going to find drugs in the car? He says, no. Are we going to find any stolen goods in the car? No. He goes, will you have any cash in the car? And he goes, yeah. Turn out this guy had $87,000 worth of cash on him. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But he was one of these guys that, you know, didn't trust the banks, did all of his transactions in cash. And he carried around $87,000 in cash with it. And he was driving to a town outside of Reno where his two daughters lived to spend time with them. And then the police asked him, well, where'd you get all this money? He goes, I just cashed my checks at the bank. I have receipts that show when I took my paycheck and cashed it. And he had this money. 87, I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of money to be carrying around. In my opinion, that's stupid. But there's some people that do it. And really, it's not a crime to be walking around with a lot of money on you. It's stupid, but it's not, it shouldn't be illegal. Well, what they did is they seized his money. They, they, and they called it civil asset forfeiture because they said, you know, this could have been from a drug crime. Are you selling drugs? He goes, No. And then they said, well, would we find drugs on this money? And they had a, they brought a dog, one of the drug stiffing dogs. And it's like scientifically proven that almost all the cash that circulates through society has trace amounts of drugs on them already. And so they put the money in a, a bag and the dog sniffed it and let, and it let the police know that there was a trace amount of drugs. They seized his money. Guilty until proven innocent. They take his stuff before there's even a crime committed, before there's a trial. And now this guy's got to fight to get his own money back. So this is the crazy part. So now police are not protecting businesses from theft. They're allowing theft to occur. And at the same time, the police are the ones doing the stealing through civil asset forfeiture. And it's wrong. Matt Brandigan on the live stream says, what worries me is that vigilantes will take over instead if the police don't do their job. Yeah, the police need to step up. 
And if that means that the police need to be more visible around businesses in, in Poway, then they need to be more visible. Now, at the same time, businesses need to take their own precautions, you know, whether they're going to have security cameras or hire private security. Now, granted, if it's in a shopping mall, you would hope that the landlord would have private security, especially after there's been recent thefts. So they've got to take responsibility, too. But the police need to step up and show force on this. It's unacceptable. I mean, a lot of people like us, we move to Poway because it is a safe place. We move to Poway because it's a great place to raise your family because it's a safe place to live. And so when businesses are being robbed and, you know, this Thai restaurant in Poway, three times this year they've been robbed. People smashing down windows, going into their place of business and stealing stuff and damaging property along the way. It's just not acceptable. It also kind of goes back, in my opinion, to a lot of leaders in our community that need to do a better job of, and I'll use the word preaching, although I don't mean it from a religious perspective, but preaching strong values. Now, whether these are community leaders in service organizations, community leaders in business, community leaders in government, and in some cases, community leaders in churches, there needs to be more of this kind of discussion about values, about character, and not allowing this sort of dismissal that these so-called petty crimes, business break-ins are something to be ignored or something to be just sort of dismissed with a wave of a hand. This is something that I would hope that, you know, granted, in about, you know, 11 months, we're going to be having an election here in Poway and actually all throughout, um, you know, San Diego, California, United States, you know, we've got the big midterms coming up. I think the Poway midterm election is going to be in June um, where we're going to be electing, you know, the, the primaries for Republican and Democrat candidates for the House and for the State Assembly, State Senate. That's all going to happen in June. And then the general election will be in November. I'd like to see some some discussion from political leaders about this. Now, granted, it's not the crazy crime issues that Trump was talking about in 2016, where he was making a mountain out of a molehill. But this is sort of a different angle. And it's one thing to crack down on the criminals, but it's another thing to have leaders talk about character, talk about strong morals. Again, and when I mean morals, I mean don't lie, cheat, or steal, okay? Don't harm other people. I'm not talking about sexual morality or any of that. I'm just talking about what does it mean to be a fine, upstanding member of your community? We need to have more of this kind of conversation. And I hope to see or hear some of that from our political leaders as the campaign season starts. I mean, gosh, we're in December now. 
I'm sure a lot of the political candidates, they know they're running, they're getting organized. We're going to start seeing more of this once the calendar flips to 2022. I want to hear and see more of the commentary on this particular topic. But it's sad. It's sad that this has happened. It's sad that a business in Poway was robbed three times. It's sad that, you know, smash and grab is a thing, that it's it's happening. And people just sort of throw up their hands and say, there's nothing we can do. And local leaders that are supposed to enforce the law, they they look the other way or they pass ordinances that say, you know, if, if it's less than a thousand bucks, it's not really anything we're going to pursue. Mike Ryan says Trump wanted to crack down on illegal activities at the border. He also wanted to crack down on MS-13 gang members, legitimate reasons to crack down on this type of crime. Okay. Well, Okay. <laughs> Whenever you mention Trump, it opens up a can of worms, right? Uh, a lot of Trump's rhetoric was divisive rhetoric, political rhetoric, taking small issues and making them big issues. Um, and that's a big reason why he pushed for the wall and all of those things, right? In my opinion, now I'll, I'll address that, you know, the MS-13 gang members and the so-called legitimate reasons to crack down on this kind of crime at the border. If they made a, if they made immigration easier, legal immigration, easier, faster, cheaper, then you would have less illegals. You have more people coming to America. that would want to fill a lot of these open jobs. They'll just want to come here to improve their life. No different than my ancestors or perhaps your ancestors did back in the latter part of the 1800s. If we allowed more legal immigration, made legal immigration cheaper, easier, and faster, we wouldn't have coyotes that are smuggling people in. If we legalize drugs, now granted, I don't support, you know, proliferation of drugs throughout society. But I'm just saying, if we legalize the drugs, then all of the criminal activity surrounding the underground distribution of drugs would go away, largely. There would be less vigilante drive-by shootings and less gang activity and less unsafe drugs being distributed that are laced with fentanyl that kill people. A lot of that criminal activity would go away, just like it did at the end of Prohibition, when suddenly all of those gangs that were distributing moonshine underground, suddenly a lot of them went out. They, they had no business. No, Their business underground was suddenly made legitimate. And what happened as a result of that, we saw a massive decline. When, when, when alcohol prohibition ended, we saw a massive decline in violent crimes because there's less, you know, Bonnie and Clyde's running around with machine guns, taking people out because of their criminal activity. And Mike Ryan's saying, yeah, I've always said we should make it easier to come here legally. We definitely should because 
This is a nation that is founded on the idea of freedom. A nation where people all around the world saw America. This is one of, you know, I'm not a giant Ronald Reagan fan, but I'll say he got this one right. That America seen as a shining city on the hill for people all around the world, the land of opportunity, the land where they can live freely, the land where they can pursue their happiness rather than living as a serf under the dominion of a, of a dictator or a king. A land where they can come and seek their fortune and prosper. That's what America's always represented. The Statue of Liberty. Give us your poor and huddled masses. This nation was built on immigration. This nation was built by immigrants that came here primarily between the time frame of the Civil War and World War I. They came here in droves. There was a flood of immigrants that came here. And they came here because it was... It was a massive benefit to them. That's why my ancestors came from Ireland. And each subsequent generation has prospered more than the previous one. Yeah, we need to make legal immigration easier. Doing so is, number one, good for our economy because we have more people consuming more products, more people working, producing. That's good for our economy. Number two... If we make legal immigration easier, that's more consistent with the values that America is supposed to represent. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's also, that's what's consistent with our history as a nation. A nation built by immigrants, a melting pot. But there are some people that want less immigrants, and, and not just right-wingers, but left-wingers like Bernie Sanders. He wants left, less immigrants, too. People don't want other people here. They don't like the others that might be competing with them for jobs. In my opinion, it's very close-minded. Immigrants add value to our nation, and I think we need to, make, we need to have more of them here. And if we did, then there would be less crime at the border. Less crime all throughout society. Mike Ryan says, I disagree with that view of violence going away with legalizing drugs. Sure, it will help, but this type of violence will never go away. Well, yeah, the, that violence will never go away. There, there will still be people that will be breaking into houses to steal things to fuel their drug habit. Yeah, that's going to happen. But if you look at the amount of gun crime that exists in America. I mean, we just had that mass shooting in Michigan. Tragic event. And there's always one other mass shooting after another, and nothing seems to change, and that's a big problem. But those mass shootings represent a tiny fraction of gun deaths in America. I mean, if you really want to get rid of gun deaths, or at least dramatically minimize them, the biggest one you have to go after is suicide. But the other thing you could do is legalize drugs because there's so many gun deaths. I mean, these drive-by shootings are almost entirely gang-related, almost entirely related to turf battles, territory battles amongst different gangs distributing illegal drugs. So the fact that drugs are, are prohibited, the fact that there's prohibition of drugs, that creates far more damaging results in society 
not just of the gangs distributing it, but also the cops that are going and taking that guy's money is $87,000 out of his car. We're seeing civil asset forfeiture happening because of the war on drugs. We're seeing all kinds of attacks on our freedom. This is supposed to be life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Innocent people are seeing their freedom eroded because the police are so empowered on this crazy war on drugs. They should be focusing on, on stopping crime in our communities where people are, you know, where there's bodily crime, murder, assault, rape. I mean, we got to, of course, prevent that. But we have to also have a strong police presence to prevent this kind of burglary of businesses and people's homes and people's cars. That's where the attention of the police should be. Not in sniffing out every person's car and violating their Fourth Amendment rights, trying to steal things out of their car. Because where does that money go? When the police sees that guy's $87,000 in cash, that money goes right to the police department. I think a certain fraction of it goes to the federal DEA, but the rest of it goes to that local police department. It's a revenue generating activity for them. And then the innocent guy has to, pr- the, the so-called now guilty guy has to prove his innocence to get back his own stuff. He's guilty until proven innocent. It's just tragic. Mike Ryan says, what do we do with all the housing shortages? We can't house many more people without more housing, and I'm in favor of immigration. That's never been a question. Yeah, we need more housing. But you know what? There's lots of housing opportunities in other parts of the country. Here in California, it's nuts, right? But yeah, we need to build more housing, but they don't. Now, granted, they're starting to. Um, But there's... I mean, there's housing opportunities available. They're building more homes around America. They need to build more. But the fact that there isn't enough housing shouldn't be a reason to prevent immigrants from coming to America. If the immigrants come, you know, their entrepreneurs want to build more houses for them. If they're allowed to, because well, a lot of times local government will prevent it. Or local NIMBYs. We see those here in Poway, not in my backyard, want to prevent construction of homes. But, you know, we have a housing crisis too, Mike, and you're right. That's a legitimate point. But I don't think that should be a reason to prevent immigrants. I mean, the immigrants will figure out, you know, where they're going to live. Mike Ryan goes on to say, That's just criminal, what they did to that man. If you want to carry a million dollars on you, that's your right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's civil asset forfeiture. And this is a thing. I mean, it's a, it's a much bigger thing than people think, where people are not just losing cash that they carry. I think if you carry like more than five grand on you, the police can take it. Take it. They assume that you are a drug dealer. This is insane. But in other cases, the police are seizing people's homes, seizing people's cars under this framework of civil asset forfeiture. Because if they suspect that you are somehow a drug criminal, even before there's been a trial, they take your stuff. This is another reason why they need to legalize drugs. This is ridiculous. 
This is a nation that's supposed to be about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet we have a police force that in some cases is acting like they're from 1930s Germany. It's crazy. Mike, Mike Ryan, I'm fired up about this police situation. Yeah, so maybe in a future podcast, I'll, I'll show the video. I saw this video a couple of days ago. It was mind-blowing what was happening with civil asset forfeiture. And this is a really big deal. And you know what? A lot of this, the president of the United States could use a pen and sign it away because it's, um, it's just a regulatory thing that gives these um, police this authority to do it. It's wrong. It's wrong. Okay. Wow. We're going an hour and a half. You got me ranting here about war on drugs and immigration. I wasn't expecting to go there, but there we are. Okay. So um, if you want more info, you know, go to johnreillyproject.com. Yeah, I've got a blog there. I got all my podcast episodes there. Got some uh, business resources. If you're looking for new customers, you want to learn how to do digital marketing, learn how to do direct marketing, want to learn how to do podcasting. Um, I've got a lot of resources on my website, johnreillyproject.com. Go check that out. Um, I'm, I'm excited about Sports, you know, I just watched the Aztecs. They beat Long Beach State last night. They're going to Michigan this weekend. That's going to be great. Brian Dutcher going back to where his career really began to blossom. He was there with Steve Fisher in the 80s and 90s. That's going to be a special game, a special opportunity for the Aztecs. It's going to be a tough game, but it's going to be great. Um, Aztec football, man, they, they beat Boise. They're going to the Mountain West Championship on Saturday against Utah State. That's exciting. And if they win that, you know, they're going to go to a decent bowl game. There's an outside shot. San Diego State could play on New Year's Day if all goes well. They're 11-1. and one. If they win the Mountain West Championship, which they're favored by about a touchdown, they could be 12-1. and one. I mean, what a great success. Brady Hoke was just named Coach of the Year. Matt Ariza, who we talked about on the podcast, um, Special Teams Player of the Year. I mean, it's just so great what's going on there. Um, my uh, my my UCSD Tritons are going to be playing Thursday against against uh, Eastern Eastern Michigan. Is that what it is, or is it Eastern Washington? So that's coming up here pretty soon on Thursday. So I might go to the game tomorrow at Triton uh, at, at Remac over there at UCSD. Um. <laughs> Pete Neal says we can always slow it down with an electric vehicle versus internal combustion engine discussion. <laughs> yeah, maybe another podcast. That's right, Mike. Pete and I were having a fun little back and forth online, just kind of poking each other. Um, but I talked about my EV adventure driving up to Sacramento in this podcast. Okay, I'm going to sign off. Um, you know, if you like the podcast, you can always give us a thumbs up. You know, that's always helpful on Facebook, on YouTube. It helps the algorithm. It helps us, you know, look like there's more people that like what we're doing. If you think what we're doing isn't good, you can give us a thumbs down. We'll, we'll take criticism as well. Okay, friends, this is the John Riley Project. This is episode number 261. It's December 1st. It's the holiday season. We'll be back at you next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Looking forward to it. And Mike Ryan, give me a call or send me a message. Let's see if we can schedule a podcast with you as well. All right, friends, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. 
go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.